Okay. Oh, look. Uh, New York. Yeah, what can I say? It just does I'll wait. this. We're good. It's okay. I also live within five blocks of a hospital, so... Hey, at least they're not testing us irons. <laughs> That's true. All right, now I'm blowing up Could always be worse. Goodness. I guess we'll start when that's over. <laughs> just gonna... Is this the cold open? <laughs> just us listening <laughs> to the siren? Expert citation. Or a discussion between three scientists who may or may not know what they're talking about. Episode 6. Sarcoma, soft tissue, and central science. Welcome to Expert Citation. My name's Joe Cuevas. Uh, I am the host of this show, uh, and I'm a paleontologist. Uh, this is a show where we talk about science. Every week we find an open access scientific article, and we talk about it. So, uh, to talk about that, we've got Kelsey McCoy. How are you doing? Hey, I'm the resident biophysicist, and I guess for today's purposes, kind of the resident chemist as well. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm doing all right. You know, it's uh, kind of been a busy week. Got some science done. Uh, starting up on some uh, fun biochemistry. Uh, which so let's go. Is you know tedious but necessary. So, you know, that's been that's been going. Uh, but yeah, I'm gearing up here to go on vacation. So I'm excited about that. And then we've also got Tyler Birch in the house. Yeah, I'm here. That was way more brief than Kelsey's <laughs> acknowledgement of being present. <laughs> no, yeah. So uh, I'm I'm here. I'm the the resident particle physicist. Yeah, I'm doing pretty pretty well. Uh, I guess I'm still sane and still alive. So that's most of the battle. Six days till my quals. Well, till the first half. So yeah. And seven days to the second half. No. Uh, so the first is. Tuesday the 16th, and then the second is Friday the 19th. Why would they do and that? And then, uh, well, I'm a fan because then I can study just the second half for three days. Except our TARA training is Thursday the 18th. So, so you lose a day anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's not great planning, but whatever. That's academia. Yeah, whatever. It's better than before. It used to be in the middle of the semester, like a week before midterms. Because so. that makes yeah, so not... much sense. Yeah, yeah. So Tyler may or may not die next week taking a physics test. So we'll uh, we'll check in on that after Kelsey gets back from her vacation, after we dig Tyler up uh, from his grave, and after I get back from San Francisco. Uh, we would normally check in at this point on how our weeks in research have been going, but it's been like four days we can talk about it i guess i already jumped the gun and just <laughs> did that it's like stuff is going you're doing you're doing uh you're doing biochem stuff is yeah. going it's how it feels most of the time <laughs> <laughs> growing cells i mean my cells i have literally gone 
done months where I couldn't get cells to grow in culture. So, you know, my cells are growing, so that's a, a plus. It's actively difficult to get E. coli, lab-grade E. coli not to grow, but, you know, I've managed it, so small steps. It's going. So, Tyler, what, uh, what sorts of things are you studying right now, then? The first half of the test is uh, classical mechanics and E&M, electricity and magnetism. So that's been my primary focus for the last couple days. Uh, I've got the strongest, uh, I feel the strongest about classical mechanics just in my entire physics career because it's, like I mentioned on a previous podcast, it's very tangible and something I encounter in my everyday life. Something that um, most people encounter in their everyday lives. Yeah, most. exactly. Everyone, everyone encounters classical mechanics in their everyday life. Um, so I've kind of put that to the back burner um, overall since I started studying several months yeah. ago. Um, so the last few days have been kind of getting everything together for that, uh, recalling some of the big problems in classical mechanics and doing sheets and sheets of Lagrangian. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just a blast. How many, uh, how many derivatives have you been taking per problem? Uh, a lot. Um, I told you today roughly like 15 is normal if you're just doing like Lagrangian plus finding equations of motion for say like a three coordinate system. So yeah, it seems about normal. Just I, don't miss, I don't miss having to do calc on a regular basis. <laughs> I do so much trig though. Like, oh my god, NMR is like so much trig. I mean, isn't NMR like heavily uh, geometry focused? Well, yeah, because you do a lot of like coordinate system transformation. So from like one yeah. re frame of reference to another, and that's all like you know. I guess people do do it in like spherical harmonics, but mostly we just for the basic types of things we do, it's all like uh, trig transformations. Yeah. So. I mean, I, I, I personally like trig, but I'm not sure what trig you're doing. I mean, it's like not hard. It's just tedious. Sure. So I feel like fair. I'm being haunted by the ghosts of like trig identities past, you know, like 11th <laughs> yeah, no, that's, grade math. That's reasonable. Three, four, five. What? Oh, okay. <laughs> this is something you've been doing since you were 16. <laughs> I don't do much calc on a on a regular basis, though. I kind of miss it. I like calc. I mean, calc is interesting, but we uh, we spent an entire episode on that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> like we actually did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll be honest. I haven't really been up to much in the vein of science over the last few days. I've been reading some articles, but I've actually because uh, I graduate from undergrad in December, and I don't want to just be sitting around for eight months until I start whatever the next thing is. Uh, so I have been looking uh, for what internships are out there because I'm probably going to need to apply for them in October if I want to be working in the uh, winter, spring term uh, professionally in like uh, science writing stuff. So I've basically spent the last week or so looking at those job descriptions and just like asking people, okay, I know you are vaguely familiar with this area is this wage reasonable and can i find transportation and food with what remains from uh from having to pay for rent 
Uh, and the answer is apparently $500 can get you a long way in Long Island because, uh, because you don't have to pay for housing. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. That's definitely <laughs> doable on Long Island. Not in the city so much, but like out in the suburbs. But like you're on Long Island. <laughs> There's not like much to do, so it's not like you're going to be spending your money all the time. Yeah, no, so, like, I come back from Long Island, a rich, very bored man. Uh, but, yeah, no, I've been looking for science journalism internships, because that's what I want to do, and so may as well spend my spring semester doing that if I can. Uh, and then I also have to think about, like, graduate programs that I want to do. So, like, it's just been looking at, okay... So yes, I know this opportunity is in this is in the city, but what else is in the city that I could like use as a source for story? Like, is there this big university, or is there um, this interesting research coming out of this lab that I have to consider? So it's not really like the science that I've been doing. It's more like the science-related things that I want to be doing. That's going on this week. So it's been different. Career development. All that good stuff. Yeah, no, I think it's, yeah, it's something that you should definitely spend time thinking about, at least. Uh, maybe not as much time as I've been spending, but some time, at least. Yeah, gotta apply for those jobs, you know. Mm -hmm. All that good stuff. You know, like, uh, I mean, you two are PhD students, so it's not as present, but I'm sure you're thinking about, like, what sorts of work you would like to do down the road, and, like, and, like connected to that, what sorts of institutions you would want to be affiliated with or something mm -hmm. yeah if, you, if i want to spend 10 years as a postdoc getting paid less than <laughs> i get paid as a graduate student um because you don't get benefits as a postdoc for the shot of even applying for tenure track jobs yeah <laughs> i love the academic job market yeah it's great people have told yeah. me there's money in it but i don't what <laughs> down the yeah, you line you start maybe. getting the money when you're like 50 60 <laughs> yeah. maybe yeah i don't know i've considered it and there's there's a heavy chance that i might uh after i get my phd transition over to like a data science type position and so yeah as i go through my research i have talked to my advisor and am intentionally placing myself in things that could um, transition over well to that so like machine learning type um, programming or programming that does, you know, apply in a broader sense than just particle physics. So yeah, the job market's always on your mind. Yeah. And like talks with mentors are definitely going to help with that as well, because they're going to be at least broadly uh, and hopefully more specifically aware of your skill sets and uh, things uh, that you can do and especially things you can do well that you're also passionate in. And so, uh, talks with mentors like that are going to be important in that they are going to help give you direction or they're also going to help suggest potential ways you could achieve things you want to do academically and or professionally uh sometimes both yeah certainly mm -hmm. this week kelsey tried to find a chemistry paper and we'll leave you to decide whether or not it's actually a chemistry paper i think it is it's just one that's very focused yeah i mean i think it definitely takes it's a, i would actually classify it as like a chemical biology paper yeah um, but i that think that's is, reasonable you know chemistry so yeah uh so she looked in acs central science which is perhaps the most chemistry journal name ever <laughs> <It's> <laughs> american true. chemical society central science it's true 
It's oh, chemistry, the central science. I'm just amazed that that's oh. even a journal title. It's beautiful. I love it. Yeah. Never change chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> it's because chemistry doesn't have its own like field identity. Like yeah. it just is like, you know, unless you're doing like hardcore organic synthesis type things, it's very much you're either basically doing biology or chemistry with biological applications or you're doing what is essentially like softcore physics. So isn't that also <laughs> material going to, like science. the bigger picture type things too, where it's like trying to find some sort of application to justify the funding source or Yeah, I mean that's definitely in part at least. You know, you know, yeah, you have to justify your work uh, to to the NSF or the NIH. But yeah, and no, a, lot a lot of the time, of, you know, a lot of times, it's really easy to provide science, a biological um, justification. A lot of crossover with um, engineering, and yeah, so, so chemistry is very much a very broad field that's all over the place. So yeah, so it's uh, it's just landing where you can justify it. And yeah. It's usually pretty interesting work. I thought this one was a really good paper. Uh, and speaking of the paper, it is in vivo bioorthogonal chemistry enables local hydrogel and systemic prodrug to treat soft tissue sarcoma by Jose M. Meja Oneto, Irfan Khan, Leah Siebold, and Maxim Roizen. So this paper really just aims to look at how orthogonal chemistry is going to be affecting this soft tissue sarcoma. And uh, soft tissue sarcoma is an aggressive malignant tumor diagnosed in more than 12,000 people in the United States every year. And its incidence is increasing. So you've got a broad purpose statement right there with the very first sentence of the paper. Hooray for justifying your work. Yeah. Good job. Cancer, Good job, great Jose. for that. How prevalent is cancer as a uh, justification for chemical work? What do you say, Kelsey? Um, for chemical work... I mean, in terms of, like, biology, it's super, super common. Um, yeah. In chemistry, it's, it's definitely one of the more common, like, if if you're working in the sort of side of chemistry that is sort of chemical biology, biochemistry, um, even synth synthetic chemistry, you know, that's towards, like, developing pharmaceuticals there's a lot of it's, it's very common i mean it's because it's easy there's a lot of money that is specifically earmarked for cancer research so it's very easy to um justify uh your grant you like know, this proposal. work has some yeah. implications with uh with a potential cure for a specific sort of cancer and mm -hmm. then that way you get some of those earmarked funds yeah i mean and sometimes it's as much it's it's as, as much of a stretch as saying like oh well, we're gonna synthesize a bunch of cytotoxic agents you know, and then eventually we'll test them for... But that's like broad future directions work. What's important is it's vaguely connected to cancer money, please. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really like everybody. You ha I mean, even in biology, it's, it's there's much more money in, in connecting your work to uh, disease states than there is in just claiming like, we're going to do this because we don't know this thing. <laughs> so yeah. let's learn about it. You always have to, you know, biologists hate that. And I'm just like, can we have some curiosity-driven biology, please? Yeah, no, like it's, um, I think uh, curiosity-driven biology is definitely important. It's just we also live in a world where in order to do science, you need money from stakeholders. And it's something that I don't think should prohibit curiosity-based uh, Yeah, but you're research, not getting money. But, I mean, but we're not less, like... 
it's not necessarily getting money from stakeholders. You're getting money from the government. I mean, so sure. like, it doesn't really I mean, the matter. Has interests. It's just yeah. I mean, no, I, yeah, I, I'm if, not if disagreeing coming, with you. It's just yeah. It's just coming from the NIH. Why should it matter if it's coming from the National Cancer Institute or the, you know, general microbiology institute? Anyways, that, yeah. that's another. That's a discussion for another time. Yeah. No. It's. I, I just definitely think it plays a role in how this study was at least conceived or designed. I mean, and it's very, this is, I agree. This is also very much a, a, a pharmaceutical study in a way, so. Yeah, the, uh, the listed institution for our first author is Shasky Inc., based in San Francisco, California. Yes. I think it's something we should be at least aware of going into this, especially because you do have that, um, that pharma affiliation thrown in the mix. So the beginning talks a lot about soft tissue sarcoma and uh, the potential cures. So it, that strikes me as the immediately the immediate problem is this is this is soft tissue sarcoma. That's our general pr purpose. How can we come up with some chemical way to help? I don't want to say cure, but help. Uh, so the the problem that they're addressing is that the standard treatment for soft tissue sarcoma is this particular type of chemotherapy. This drug, doxorubicin, doxorubicin, I don't know how you would actually pronounce that. Um, and it's like super harsh. I mean, like most yeah. chemotherapy is, but it's a uh, very high toxicity. People don't. Like, it's so hard on people's bodies that they just don't even continue it, the treatment. Um, so yeah. they're trying to develop better ways to deliver that drug um, so you don't have to just sort of nuke everything. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, a delivery system. That yeah. makes way more sense with the visual aspect of their abstract now, too. Yeah, with, I mean, uh, so, so really they're sort of trying to develop new delivery systems, you know, ways to tar and tar and delivery and targeting. Yeah, because it's, uh, if you get there but you can't do anything, then you still have accomplished nothing, so. <laughs> you're, ju you're just sort of looking at the tumor, and, uh, yeah. yeah. What's bioorthogonal chemistry, and why does that matter in this specific instance, then? Yeah, so, um, generally speaking, when we talk about reactions or chemical reactions being orthogonal, um, it means that they don't cross-react. So you could run two reactions, you know, get together, and you're not going to get, and, it, and you get the same products as if you had just run them separately and mixed it. Like, you wouldn't get any, like, cross-reactivity. Cross so, so bio chemistry, uh, it's a whole sort of subclass of these reactions that are specific to uh, and don't react uh, with the body. So... so a common approach is there's this technique called click chemistry where you react um, an, uh, so a triple bonded carbon and alkyne with, with um, an azide so with uh, nitrogen a triple bonded to a carbon and or to another nitrogen I think uh, anyways I don't know all the details uh, but they react really readily with each other but then they those two Products. Functional, yeah, functional groups don't um, both don't naturally occur in the body, so you don't have you know cross reactivity. 
and sure. they don't really react with other things in the body. So, so that would be an example of bioorthogonal reactions. So you can take things specifically with them, and, and you're not going to have to worry about labeling everything, or, or you know, maybe potentially causing uh, harm by reacting uh, with sort of proteins or other things in the body. And the researchers are using this uh, sort of methodology to pre-target the tumors. To uh, really, the principles behind bio uh, ortho bioorthography? Did we just say bioorthogonal chemistry? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Uh, bio, really the principles behind bioorthogonal chemistry to uh, to pre-tag the uh, to pre-tag the tumor and then to deliver whatever they're going to use to get rid of the cancerous cells uh, without cross-contamination happening uh, at the uh, site of interest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Which is really cool. No, it's a really cool concept. Um, there's lots of they're using the reaction they're using specifically as a, um, a modified Dales Alder uh, reaction, which is you know if you've taken organic chemistry at any point, you have you remember Dales Alder, um, which is just just a basic, basic addition uh, reaction, uh, and. So they're using a modified version of that, and it's, it's, I mean, it's a really uh, clever approach. So uh, figure one is a visual representation of that, uh, of the pre-targeting? Yes, yes. Of a couple of different ways they could uh, they can use bioorthogonal chemistry to uh, to deliver the drug, I guess? Mm -hmm. So I think this is the approach of a couple of different people in the past who have done similar things. Yeah. So, so it looks like, looks like A and B. And B. What people have done uh, was actually uh, sort of fuse one of the reagents, um, one of the halves of the reaction, to an antibody, which then is targeted to the surface of the tumor cells. So, yes, it's targeted to the surface of the tumor cells, and then it binds to the tumor, and then you can deliver the drug that way. No, I think uh, I think this visual representation helps a lot i haven't taken organic chemistry because um, you didn't have to yeah <laughs> right i didn't have to i mean why would i have to as a physicist but um reading through it and reading the the tag like i felt like i understood most of what was going on um but not per se why it was helpful <laughs> sure which aside from drug release so it was a useful figure in and of itself i will say that um I don't really have any comments to add as far as science things go. Sure. I'm just, uh, cause I think clarity is important to address here, especially cause, I mean, you understand what the word orthogonal means. It's not. Yeah. I definitely understand it in the terms of physics. And I had to Google exactly what they meant when they were talking bio orthogonal. Um, sure. But yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a common word. Yeah. It's one of the seven uh, ways you can say something's perpendicular. <laughs> yeah and this yeah. uh this all goes back to what we were saying earlier about geometry <laughs> everything's geometry in the end gotta love science yeah so uh really the study is about that uh tagging and delivery system it's written very differently than a lot of studies i am not sure i understand like all of the science going on but it's really it was really interesting when I was reading it, uh, Kelsey, do you have any further insights maybe to shepherd us down this uh, Should we talk about or? the 
like the actual system that they're developing then? Yeah, no, that's a, I think that's a great way to go. Uh, yeah, so... Is figure two the <laughs> illustration of that system? Yeah, or? yeah, it is. So basically what they did was they took a... They, they made a version of the drug um, that has this ta- this additional functional group on it that when it reacts with the other half of the reaction, it makes that extra group that they've added um, sort of leave. So it drops off. Yeah. And that activates the drug. So the drug isn't nearly as active, um, and they call it the pro-drug, but it's not nearly as active with this extra group on there. And so what they did is then they, they put the other half of the reaction, so the activating group, onto hydrogel, um, which is just uh, made up of like sugars, and then they inject the hi- the idea is you inject the hydrogel like next to the tumor, and then you give the patient the pro drug, like intravenously, which the pro drug isn't as active as the regular drug, so it doesn't like harm them as much, um, or cause as many side effects. But then when it gets when the prodrug gets to where the, the tumor is, the hydrogel reacts and that both activates it and target, and now it brings it, all the active drug is like right next to the tumor. So in theory, it like both concentrates it by the tumor and then activates it so you don't have active drug sort of just in the bloodstream. Just in the system doing whatever. Yeah, um, harming the patient. Uh, yeah. so, it's, it's a, I think it's a really clever system. Um, the yeah. way they've designed it. Um, so they've got the they've got the hydrogel targeting system by the tumor, uh, and then um, that way, the uh, every, the active drug the uh, active drug is only concentrated near the tumor, more or less. Mm-hmm. So, question about this system is is using bioorthogonal reactions is that a common thing that's already been established, or is that something that's sort of new in this paper's introducing because they definitely like are localizing it to this one type of treatment and I wasn't really sure if it was a established process or not. Yeah, so I mean as far as I'm aware it's like like a pretty sort of hot topic right now. Um so there's a lot of people and I think that's sort of what figure one kind of gets at is like different ways that people have approached this. Like so these are each like others people's systems. Um that have used a similar reaction and they're the, so they, this is like definitely, um, sort of an up and coming thing that like lots of people are doing right now. Um, and, and sort of this bioorthogonal chemistry has been used for other stuff before. Um, it's been used for a lot of like in vitro stuff or cell tissue stuff where you're, you're trying to label, um, proteins with like a fluorescent tag or something like that. Um, I don't think it's not been used as much for this type of like in vivo drug delivery. Um, so that certainly could be like an, I don't, I'm not super familiar with the field, so I have no idea if this is like the first time somebody's like actually done this in mice, but, um, sure. That's fair. You know, uh, I think that's like a relatively new. Yeah, it definitely seems like a, a process that you could extend beyond just what this one study is localized to. Um, and so, yeah, if it's an up-and-coming thing, I think that'd be interesting to see, like, 
10 years what's happening with it you know and like one of the i think really interesting sort of powerful things about what they're doing here with this hydrogel is that like previous people have sort of proposed systems where they fuse things to antibodies you know and use that to target the tumor but the problem is that a lot of cancers you know there's like a really broad range of genetic backgrounds that tumors can have so like maybe 40 percent of cancer patients with this particular cancer may might have this particular marker that you could target with an antibody but that's not everybody so this is much more like broadly applicable across you know many different people with this type of cancer is figure three the release of the activated drug in the presence of the hydrogel yeah so it Figure 3A is like the actual chemical structures, and that's how you can tell this is a chemistry paper, because they show you the chemical structures. Um, of everything. So, yeah, it's got the structure of the hydrogel with the, the um, activating group, the tetrazine, and then the structure of the active drug and the structure of the prodrug. And then this is, a, B is, I think, in HPLC traces. Yeah, it's HPLC. Um, that but C is, uh, C is fairly intelligible. Yeah. So B shows that the pro, what B is showing is that the pro drug in the presence of the hydrogel is being turned into the, the active drug. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, C is pretty, it's pretty intelligible. C is, uh, C is a release versus time graph. And, uh, so by the end of, uh, by by the end of just over a week, uh, all of the pro drug will be been converted into the active drug. So uh, it looks like then, um, in that case, it um, gives a case for prolonged treatment with a uh, with lessened side effects. Yeah, and that's what they see. So they also do a mouse trial where they give mice cancer and uh, treat them with this. And sure. <laughs> uh, and that is one of the things they see is that using this system, they don't see nearly as much um, side effects in the mice as they do in the ones where they just give them the active drug. Um, and that's like they measure like weight loss and like the for coat quality, um, among some other things. So. And is that the data that's uh, reflected in Figure Four? Yes. So figure 4A is survival data, or no, tumor volume. Okay. So they measure tumor volume. I mean, it's, tumor it's, volume. More or less, it's more or less survival data. Yeah. It's just a survival of a specific sort of tissue. Yeah, well, and because they sacrifice the mice after the tumors get to a certain size. Yeah. For S. Sacrifice. Rip and dead. That's <laughs> what it's called. Hooray, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. semantics. Yeah, uh, so... Um, and then, yeah, so, and you can see that when they treat them with the prodrug, you know, they don't, a lot of the tumors over the course of the study, so it's what, like, three, four months, I think, um, basically. Yeah, right around four months. Yeah, uh, don't come back. I mean, it's not, not, it was, I think they said, like, 50%, um, so they see, like, not only, like, reduced side effects, but also... Uh, better outcomes in the mice with this sort of pro-drug system. And uh, you've got multiple metrics of that in figure four. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you look at 
tumor volume, uh, this percent of their weight, the mice lost weight, uh, and then also uh, a measure of a certain cell count, so it's a measure of um, cardiac health, which is a side effect of this drug. And then they also talk about a catch step to uh, at, at the very end to to get all of the extra release, and that was also briefly mentioned in uh, Figure One, I think. Or am I just yeah, parsing that wrong? About the catch, catch and release approach in Part D of Figure One. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, like one of the things that's sort of an open question after the study is that not. Like, they had this really good outcome for some of, like, half of the mice, you know, that they gave this to, but, like, the other half still, you know, the tumors came back, and um, they, you know, essentially, I mean, they had to sacrifice them before the end of the study. Uh, So, they don't really know, like, obviously this is the first time they've tried this. It's not an optimized system. So, like, there's lots of variables that like you know why isn't it working for all of the mice you know i mean that would ask that would have me asking questions about chemical structure but i don't know enough to uh (laughs) to ask an intelligent question on chemical structure and i'm uh and this isn't your work so i'm sure you uh don't necessarily have an answer ready for a intelligent question (laughs) on chemical structure (laughs) although you did mention early on though right that uh in general, some cancer treatments work for like 40% or fewer percent of uh, treated people, right? Is that true? Or? Yeah, um, so one of the... There's been a big push in biology in the past 15 years. Uh, that's precision medicine. So the idea that like now that we have the human genome and now that sequencing is so easy... You know, maybe instead of just trying to treat everybody's cancer exactly the same, we would, like, sequence the cancer and see exactly what, you know, what type it is and what the genetics of it are, and then develop treatments based on that. And that is one of the the sort of reasons that that's been really difficult, is that it turns out cancer is really, really um, heterogeneous. So, like, you know, it depends on the type of cancer, but even in something as common as like breast cancer, there's lots of different factors that can affect um, how you respond to treatment and what's what treatments work and what don't, um, and uh, how quickly sort of you become resistant to treatments. And so that's all about the genetics of the specific tumors. But uh, it seems like you could sort of build a bridge between that sort of individualized treatment and this uh this spe- um this specialized del- uh delivery and release mm-hmm. where uh assuming unlimited funding of course you could uh you could treat a patient with um a completely unique uh with a completely unique i mean treatment is probably a word i could use to describe that i mean yeah and what's really interesting to me about this study is the system is that they almost kind of sidestep that actually because what they're doing is they're coming up with a way to sort of specifically deliver a common drug right um for this type of cancer and i mean yeah you could build it out to like any drug right and then target it specifically to like 
certain cancers and certain, you know, uh, variants. But what they do is they, they kind of show that, like, you can do this with a common drug that and have much better outcomes than you would with that same drug just administered intravenously, both in terms of side effects and in terms of, like, how long the the tumors, like, take to recur or to sure. continue growing. Um, so in a, in a way that kind of sidestepped that whole, like, precision medicine idea. <laughs> That's interesting, though. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it makes me wonder why they do. But at the same time, it's you don't want to make too grand a claim. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, as cool as it would be for them to have made that claim, I can understand them being hesitant to do so, because then the headline would be completely customized cures for cancer. Yeah, I mean, and there's a lot of uh, things that work well in mice that, you know, never even make it to humans, so... Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to follow a, uh, that question. It's a similar but different system. How, how does that transition work? What are the steps from... Um, you know, trial on mice to trial on humans to actually full out, you know, having it as a treatment. Yeah, I don't know too much about that. Um, I think, I mean, because I know that usually I think there's some sort of, well, we don't do primate studies anymore, really, especially not in apes. That's like been yeah, no, ethics boards are banned. Uh... Well, no, I mean, like, federal government banned that, like, in the last year. Um, so I think mostly it's like, it can, if like if you have enough good mouse data, especially with cancer, you can almost go directly to safety tr- human safety trials. And then of course there's a process of like stage one is like safety, and then like and then if efficacy, and then like you need to show that it's better than the current standard. And something like this where they're basically using. Um, just a modified version of an established drug, like a drug that's used in humans. Um, it probably wouldn't be like that much of a step to get it into initial human trials. Right. Yeah. It doesn't like lead to any red flags because we're using something that's already being used. Yeah. I mean, Um, and the thing is like the way that cancer trials are set up is that it is the people who've already gone through a lot of, you know, treatments that haven't worked for them. So it is a lot of like fairly desperate sort of terminal patients. So um, there's a little bit less of a concern about like safety than there is it would be for like hmm. a new drug for something else, um, because like as cynical as it is, you are dealing with you know people who this is their last chance because you know they're yeah. just nothing else has worked and they're terminal. Sure. I wonder if that leads to uh, lower rates of, you know, treatments uh, moving on to be approved because those people are, I mean, they've shown they're resilient to certain types of treatment, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's some, like, some stuff there. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know too much about it, though. No, it's just this paper reads like a chemistry paper. Like, oh, certainly it does. It's, it's uh, kind of, and the thing about chemistry papers is that they are kind of dense because you have to like say everything about like chemical structure and reactions and synthesis and. Right, chemistry is definitely its own language in and of itself. 
Yeah. Were you uh, surprised at all at the um, the outcome of it? So, like, the idea that um, in many cases there's little to no side effects. I was surprised by how well it worked in their mouse, mouse trials. Yeah, definitely. Because um, um, like, it's, like, a significant improvement over their normal treatment. Um, I think what surprised me most was how inact like inactive the the pro drug that they made um Mm -hmm. was compared to the active drug um and i guess i it could be that like the they sort of i don't know how much is known about the specific mechanism of activity of this drug um so they very well could have like you know specifically put this extra group onto like an active group in it that's necessary so they kind of knew it wasn't going to be as active um yeah but it's i mean and who knows how much stuff how much stuff they actually did before they got to the one that worked um (laughs) (laughs) you know Uh, because it's not how you write papers but it certainly like was this really sort of striking result yeah the one that really sticks out to me i mean primarily because I don't have as much of a chemistry or biology type background, but the weight loss one is like, mm-hmm. there's practically no weight change for some of these. And that's, it seems to me to be like pretty incredible because that's one of the biggest mm-hmm. um, issues with cancer treatment, you know? Yeah. Or just the fact that like, for me, I think what was really striking was that, you know, in half of the mice that they gave this treatment to, like, over the course of the four months of the study, like, the tumors, like, didn't come back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, like, so to contextualize that, um, the, all of the mice that were just given the active drug, the tumors came back and they had to be sacrificed after two months. Like, all of the mice. And then the, with this new treatment, like, they got, they extended that by two more months and some of the mice they still the tumors didn't come back yeah which is fantastic it's just like amazing i'm like yeah it's a mouse trial you know and there's who knows if this is ever actually gonna make it into like the rotation especially because this is kind of a rare cancer and the rarer the disease um the less likely pharmaceutical companies are to actually develop a treatment for it because they never get right. a recoup on their investment. It's a cost-benefit analysis type thing. Yep. Unfortunately, you have to reduce it to money a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an industry. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> this is certainly a really, really striking um, finding. Yeah. The first time I read through it, I almost thought it was, like, too good to be true. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, uh, the other thing you've got here is this is also the core technology of a uh, of a private company so mm-hmm. i think it's definitely a good thing to build a business on yeah uh, especially promising work like this yeah this uh strikes me as some yeah somebody who like maybe they did something similar for like their phd and then they de- you know went on to found found the company that is developing this in the hopes of you know being bought by like merck or something yeah, like he probably uh, did his PhD at the University of Albany, yeah, uh, and then uh, and then just moved to San Francisco and said, "Hey, my work is enough of a foundation for uh, 
for something good, and it it it, it, it is based yeah. on this one paper that we've yeah. seen. But uh, I'd definitely like to see someone try to replicate the results. Oh yeah, yeah, that'd be a big question I still have. Which in science, you're supposed to do that. Yeah. Turns out yeah. it's uh, really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but good first trials. Uh, so this paper had sort of a non-traditional format. What did you guys think of that? It didn't really have any sections clearly outlined. Aside from the abstract, yeah. <laughs> Which... I guess that's just I... uh, that's just a cataloging thing, I think, though. Yeah, definitely. This is like a fairly common format in ACS journals, like uh, JAX, really? the Journal of the American Chemical Society, is often formatted like this. So I guess I'm just kind of used to it. Um, I like it though because I think. For me, it helps the logical flow of a paper a little bit more sometimes because you're not, like, sectioning things off and saying, now we're going to talk about this, now we're going to talk about this. It's a little more from, like, A to B to C to D. Um, so I, I like it, you know. Right. Yeah, it reads more like a straight-through, coherent idea. But on the flip side, um, sometimes when you're reading through papers or reading through articles, you want that mental break between sections. Um, I was pretty, I didn't have any strong feelings. It's something I noticed as I went through, but it wasn't like, oh, this is great. Or, oh, this is terrible. I and, just, it, it was. <laughs> it's like anything where I think these authors utilize it well, but like not everybody does. Um, sure. Yeah. And also like, I do think it makes, it, it makes it easier to like read straight through. It makes it harder to like, if you're going to go dig through a paper, cause you want to find something very specific, like a reference for something. It makes it harder right. to, um, to do that. And for context, this paper is only five pages long. Well, really right. like four and a half. So, so it doesn't, it, it doesn't really sprawl in a way that you would lose yourself, but it is a potential right. pitfall in, uh, in this format. If this were 10 pages long, it'd be a totally different story. Yeah. No, I generally agree. I understand the drawback, but I think if well-written, it's not of major concern. Of course, that assumes a paper is well-written, so I suppose that's another thing. These authors definitely use this format well. Um, I think I like the idea of sectionless papers in that it will lead from one coherent idea to another coherent idea but it's it's easier to avoid the trap of having too many pointless sections yeah yes. where everything felt obligatory in uh in half yeah. the papers we've done <laughs> and i think it makes i i do like sort of the approach and you see this in some journals now that like have a combined like results and discussion section um and i like that because i think that it sort of helps you can say like i found this result now here's our discussion of this result. Now here's this result, and like let's kind of inter inter merge intertwine them, merge them together a little bit more, like logically. And I think this has the same effect. No, I uh, I definitely generally appreciated it, uh, at least in this paper. Uh, and this is the first sectionless paper I've seen, so it was cool to see that done well. And maybe now nothing else will ever live up to that. We'll just have it, to read more it, more ACS papers. Yeah. <laughs> it does throw a wrench in our uh, grading scheme we've developed over time, though. I mean, uh, sure, but... <laughs> I think we can well, here maybe... separate out intros from 
I mean, I, I was just thinking we could provide specific comments on the paper, what we thought worked, what we thought didn't work, and then from there sort of give a general grade. Yeah. Yeah, I can deal with it. Uh, so I want to do Kelsey last on this one because she has the most experience with this format. Uh, I definitely really liked that this was a heavily visual paper. Um, and I think um, if it is sectioned off into sections, there's better ways to say that. If it is sectioned off, then uh, a lot of times you'll see a figure in a section and it'll feel pigeonholed to that section and it'll feel like it'll only it's only there so that section has a figure. But here, all of the figures served an important purpose in illustrating the general scheme of, okay, here is what bioorthogonal chemistry generally looks like. Here is uh, here is what we did in this study. Here's the system that we designed. Here's uh, that system in a little more depth if you really, really like organic chemistry. And uh, here's our specific trial data. It's cute that, that you think that, that was in-depth organic chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I only had to take a semester. You mean you didn't take four semesters of organic chemistry like I did? If you're really into organic chemistry, uh, that figure's there. But the figures all serve a purpose, and that's something I definitely really appreciated here. Um, I would have liked some more broader implications, especially because this is sort of... This paper seems like it's, this is what Shasky does in general, and we're going to be doing more of this cool cool, um, drug chemistry stuff in the future, or a company and stuff, but... uh, I can understand why they wouldn't want to make some bolder claims uh, at the same time, as much as I would have liked to see them. So those are my big thoughts. Uh, It was short, but I want to say it's a B. And I don't know if I'm being mean there. I think some of the things you thought as weaknesses I enjoyed, like specifically not... I'm glad they didn't... uh, try to make bolder claims than they actually tested like that's was nice to see um sure I'm, and i understand okay that perspective that. i understand that perspective yeah. it's just uh I, I i like the idea of possibility yeah, i definitely echo you that the the figures um drove the paper um when i was reading it and they seemed to be um, pretty clear in telling the story of the data which i think is something to be um, achieved in science telling um, the story of an experiment, the story of the data, and what you're trying to get at through that. Um, I and in think, that respect, it had a really nice narrative structure, too. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, I think it very much... Um, it was very brief, and I think that was a strength of the paper. Like, the brevity was a strength. Sure. Um, it didn't rant on about anything unnecessarily. Um, now... As far as what it said, I'm definitely not the target audience, so um, a lot of it felt directed towards its target audience, as it should be, you know? Um, so it's that's a little bit lost on me, but I felt like it read like it was a well-written paper. Did I? I don't know if I mentioned it or not. I'm trying to think. Yeah, so the one qualm I had, and this is like a stupid one, but the figure placement made the reading of the paper a little bit more difficult than it should be. Um, I don't know specifically... What you said, uh, this is sort of like what you said last week. Was it last week? No, it had to be two weeks ago. Where, uh, I mean, it was last week for us, but not... Anyway, (laughs) 
this is what you like what you said last week where it seems like that's more a um a weakness of the journal than it is of the specific paper yeah yeah definitely i think that's again i will echo my own comments good job tyler <laughs> you are nothing if not <laughs> uh, consistent yeah so yeah i think that's pretty much all my thoughts um trying to think of an overall grade i don't have any reason not to give it an a but i don't know if it's an a paper because parts yeah of no like that's, head, that's you why know? i gave that's it what a b. i'm scared that's why about. i gave it a b because i wasn't sure if it was actually an a paper yeah so um, i'll give it an a minus we'll say that can i revise mine to a b plus sure <laughs> no uh because i i broadly agree uh i understand why you disagreed with me on some weakness points but uh I mean, I just don't know if this was a well-done chem study, because yeah. I don't know chem. All right. Kelsey, time to school us. Uh, yeah. yeah, so, I mean, I, I generally like this paper. I like their system and their experimental setup a lot. Like we've talked about, I think the figures are really, really good, both informative and, like, well put together. Um, I actually am going to disagree with you, Joe, in that I think that the broader impacts of this paper are actually a real strength because, and maybe this just comes from me having read bio papers, but this is like a really strong, like specific system that they are looking at and it has like a real impact on that system. Like I've read a lot of bio papers that are like hand wavy about like, I'm going to study C. elegans vulva development and that is somehow linked to cancer. Like, <laughs> I mean, I've read that, so. Uh, um, uh, like, to me, this is, like, actually a fairly strong link um, in terms of, like, the pharmacology and the direct uh, uh, necessity of their system that they're developing. Um I, I do like this paper. I think that the writing is, and I think this might be like a function of its length because it is short, uh, but the writing is kind of dense for me. Um, this is also just like, I think a stylistic thing for a lot of chemistry papers is that they get, they really, really like to shove as much in there as possible. Um, they also occasionally like, I think they use the word nadir. <laughs> at one point like yeah. the nadir of the tumor volume just like what um yeah it, oh here, here's the nadir of reticulocytes after uh, systemic doxorubicin occurred three days after the end of therapy like i don't i mean not wrong but odd um yeah, I mean, I, I think it really accomplished what it set out to accomplish really well. The resu results were very striking. Um, generally, I liked it. Uh, I mean, like Tyler, I had some qualms about maybe <laughs> reproducibility. Um, yeah. yeah. And it is... Um, and also just knowing that this is very much... You know, knowing that this is sort of a biotech firm that's trying to develop this, it, it is very much a paper that is aimed at getting venture capitalists to invest in their startup. Um, but yeah, I, I'd definitely give it like an A-. I, I do like this paper. 
And I don't really like cancer papers, so that's kind of saying a lot. (laughs) I think that context is important here. (laughs) Yeah, no, this was a really good study. Uh, I just think their system is so well designed. It's such a cleverly designed system. Yeah, it really is. Um, And the fact that it is figure-driven is a huge strength. So yeah, cool. We all uh, agree that this is a great paper. The high note actually has nothing to do with the paper because I don't want to dilute our memory of that. This week's high note is we're recording this while the Olympics is going on. Uh, Let's go with, because we did this for the All-Star game, let's go with unlikely Olympic scenarios that you want to happen. Tyler, you can't say I hope they all lose. Well, I mean, I hope they all but America lose. (laughs) (laughs) So I hope uh, Denny's sponsors the rest of the swimming events and replaces the pools with syrup. (laughs) Yeah, I like that one. And I hope while that happens, Michael Phelps decides to jump in uh, the pool with all 21 of his medals or however many he has now. And the Uh, lifeguard finally gets to do something. 21 gold medals, but like 25 total medals, I think. Yeah, but... uh... But this is the Olympics, so only gold counts, right? Yeah. He actually apparently just tied the record, so he has 12 individual gold medals. Apparently that's like a, tied the record for like most individual championships, but the record was set by like some actual ancient Greek. Like Leonidas of Rhodes or something in like, you know, 2600 BCE, I don't know. It's pretty impressive. I hope Alex Ovechkin comes and he just freezes one of the pools and starts playing hockey. Well, it is technically winter in the Southern Hemisphere, so these could be the Winter Olympics. I'm not really sure. That is a good point. Um, <laughs> I hope. Uh, and then I want the Washington Capitals, uh, aka the Russian national team, to win hockey in this year's Summer Olympics. <laughs> I want uh, NBC to stop making, trying to make me care about Olympic swimming. Because but, I think dude, Katie Ledecky. Okay, Katie Ledecky came up, overcame so much hardship, like being the granddaughter of the owner of the New York Islanders. But, but no, when they when they mentioned that, like when they made like the mention on the offhand of like her uncle, like used to own a, a share in like the capital, you know, like the Washington Capitals or whatever. And I'm just like, yeah, that really sort of displays how like everyday people like. You know, you could be an unknown swimming prodigy and just never know it because, like, you're not from a ridiculously rich family who can, like, invest in you. Uh, yeah, I just don't care about swimming all that much, and NBC really wants me to care about it, and, I mean, I also don't Because American them, legends so. Michael Phelps and Katie Ledecky! <laughs> I, I'm marginally interested in Katie Ledecky, but, like, not in my, I was over Michael but Phelps not, like, in 2008, in... so, like, I just don't care. <laughs> Um, yeah. I also like I don't have cable, so I, I can only watch like, the like, regular NBC broadcast. Oh, that's not. Oh, god. Ah, so, and that's like the only thing they're showing. Yeah, it's like so that in gymnastics. I, I like want to watch gymnastics because I like am vaguely interested in gymnastics. Uh, 
but then they're like they split it up and they made me watch that. And now we're going to cut to swimming, and then we're going to cut back to gymnastics. Because the gymnastics happens during the day, so they like show that like sections on tape delay, and but they show the swimming live. So then I'm just like, can we not? Can we? Can we get? I want to watch Simone Biles like win everything. Like I don't care about Michael Phelps. But yeah, or I think. Yeah, that's mostly it. Like, unless I kind of want to watch other, I don't know. It'd be hilarious if, like, the women's national team for soccer, uh, like, lost in the round of 16. I would think that was hilarious, but, you know, other people would be really sad. <laughs> so this site has curling stones. The Canada Curling Stone Co. You can sponsor us if you want. Hit me up. <laughs> Uh, for eleven thousand two hundred dollars. Eleven thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, it's stupid. They have to come God. from like one specific region or something like that to where they're just so astronomically expensive. It doesn't make any sense. That's... Oh, here's one for four thousand. Oh, only four thousand dollars. That's the junior curling stones. Remember <laughs> that you also can't order these on Victoria Day or Monday, August first, Civic Holiday. Hopefully they sponsor us. <laughs> I think it's promising. Yeah. Get twenty. Okay. Get twenty percent uh, off your uh, your next curling stone order by entering the code <laughs> expert. So, by entering the code expert. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, let's uh, let's end the show. Hey, uh, follow the show on uh, on social media. You can do that by uh, by going to expert citation on your social media platform of choice. Uh, Kelsey runs our Tumblr. Uh, and I guess she's also taken over the Twitter at this point. You post at least half of the things on Twitter. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, you can find us on Twitter, on Tumblr. Uh, you can also email us if you find a cool journal article, or if you just want to say hi. That's expertcitation at gmail.com. You can also follow us indiv- individually on different social media platforms. I am on Tumblr at Adventures in Chemistry, and on well, like everything else, Twitter, Instagram, etc. Um, at ADVS in Chem. And I'm on most social media platforms at Tyler J. Birch, spelled B-U-R-C-H. And my SoundCloud will be plugged at the end of the show. And I do not have much new content on there because I've been uh, studying for quals, but... I've been working on some stuff, and it should be out in the near future. It's really fun, yeah. Uh, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Joe M. Quavis, and uh, you can also find me on WordPress as well at waterlogbooks.wordpress.com, which is a blog that hasn't updated in four months, uh, or Tumblr at professorwhat.tumblr.com, which hasn't updated in longer. And then, uh, so leave us a five-star review on iTunes, and we'll read it on the show, which is why I currently have a review here to read. You brought this on yourself. Uh, I just hope you know I that. I did. So the, this is, uh, was left by Big Papa Smurf, uh, titled, Well, Paint Me Green and Butter Me. I don't, I can't actually see the end of the title. I assume it's like Butter Me Up. Butter My Biscuit. Oh, Butter My Biscuit Up. I should have guessed. Um, and the review is... I can, uh, copy it plain text. <laughs> the review is, 
I've never listened to any of these. However, Kelsey's Tumblr said she would read this review on air. Tuta, tuta badoody. Tuta badoody. Ah, whatever. Should have practiced. Should have practiced it. <laughs> Uh, you knew this gold, was coming. Goldfish painted chips, greedy grandpa gorillas grab granola, hey Macarena, glass. Um, so thanks, dumb science jokes. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's <laughs> because there's no one else this could be. I'm pretty sure that his Tumblr user, dumb science jokes. Um, although there is a possibility, my Tumblr's been a weird place lately. There's been a lot of licking. People have been licking each other and biting each other. I don't understand why that's been happening. But yeah, no. Leave but yeah, thanks, dumb science jokes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, leave us a five star review, and uh, because that would be awesome. It helps us get discovered. No, really, it, uh, it actually does help a lot with discoverability of the show. Tell a friend about expert citation. Leave a review, uh, and just like supposedly dumb science jokes, you can get read right on the air, and it'll be great. Uh, until next time, this has been Expert Citation. I'm Joe Cuevas. I'm Kelsey McCoy. I'm Tyler Birch. Bye. <laughs> Bye. How do we end the show? <laughs> Expert Citation is hosted by Joe Cuevas, Kelsey McCoy, and Tyler Birch. Expert Citation is also produced by Joe Cuevas. Our opening and closing music was also provided by Tyler Birch. Find more of his music at soundcloud.com forward slash Tyler dash James dash four six nine three. Expert Citation is a production of the IamKuhan.com network. More great podcasts at IamKuhan.com.